0: This program's about the impossible. There's a good chance that you believe in the impossible. In 1967, Dr. George Wald won the Nobel Prize in Physiology or Medicine. Dr. Wald said When it comes to the origin of life, there are two possibilities creation or spontaneous generation. There is no third way. Spontaneous generation was disproved 100 years ago but that led us to only one other conclusion, that of supernatural creation. We cannot accept that on philosophical grounds. Therefore, we choose to believe the impossible, that life arose spontaneously by chance. This Nobel prize-winning scientist rejected the science that God had to be the creator of life. The only possible explanation for you. Me, I'm a Christian because I don't believe in the impossible. Stay tuned and let's explore the universe as it really is. I'm Paul and this is C-Y-K-I-A-E. The news media had a lot of highly experienced journalists that had been well-trained in their trade. They were sensible, they knew how to write a good story, they knew not to express their own opinions, they knew to tell the truth without fear or favour. These were the traditional values that had made the media the fourth estate, responsible for keeping governments honest. But even as far back as 1978, the famous Russian dissident, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who knew how left-wing governments really operate, from the 10 years he spent in the Soviet labor camps called Gulags and wrote two famous books about what they were like and how they operated, A Day in the Life of Ivan Denisovich and the Gulag Archipelago. He had this to say when he delivered what turned out to be a real exercise in truth-telling that the Harvard graduate class found too critical and perceptive of American society. He said, the press has become the greatest power within the Western countries, more powerful than the legislative power, the executive and the judiciary. And one would then like to ask, by what law has it been elected? And to whom is it responsible? And since then, as I'm about to tell you, things have gotten infinitely worse. So how did so much of the media become woke and abandon all of those vital traditional values that earned the media the term, the fourth estate. Well, if you've got about 20 minutes or so, I'll tell you. Between 2008 and 2015 in America, a lot of consolidation of the media got underway. That means that fewer people, corporations, owned all of the media in the United States. It's a bad thing. As a result of consolidations, hundreds of journalists became redundant. Redundancies can operate in a funny way unexpected way. It's not usually the worst people that will take a redundancy package. More typically, it's the best. The journalists who aren't great will want to stay because they're probably going to find it hard to get a job somewhere else. The best journalists will likely leave. They'll be in demand. They might actually be able to walk out with a redundancy package and get a better job than the one they left, which is definitely a win-win for them and a loss for us. Another black mark that the new media owners had against these older journalists is that they'd been trained in what being a newspaper man was really about. Telling the truth without fear or favour. The old-style journalists were people who saw the fun of being a journalist as exposing yourself and your readers to other cultures and other people and helping them to understand them. But that wasn't what the media of the Trump era saw its business as being. As I told you in a previous program, Jim Rutenberg, a journalist for the New York Times, argued in his 7 August 2016 story entitled, Trump is Testing the Norms of Objectivity in Journalism, that it was time for the media to abandon telling the truth about Trump, and his was a call which was heeded by much of the media, not only in the United States, but around the Western world. Bhatia Unger Sagan in her book Bad News said of the new generation of journalists who were going to be perfect in the world of President Donald Trump. In the buyouts, those journalists, the old traditional journalists, were replaced by a younger generation of digital natives. Some journalists, some in ancillary digital roles, who were educated at elite institutions and viewed their role less as understanding their subject and more as sitting in judgment over those they disagreed with. Something began to happen that is now happening in ever-widening circles, imposing, or at least threatening to impose, a strict censorship on what we read by these young, worldly unwise, heavily indoctrinated from years in our schools and universities by left-wing teachers and professors, have to tell us. The traditional pattern in all walks of life has been for the older more experienced generation to teach the younger generation how the job was done everyone makes mistakes and the older ones having been trained by people before them who had made their own mistakes as well used to pass on to the new generation all of that wisdom, but the dynamic in the media changed dramatically with the buyouts, with the media focusing its main attention to online news delivery and, importantly, the old guard being actively encouraged to leave before they had imparted their wisdom to the new generation. Now, these ignorant, uninformed younger elites, armed with the judgments and values they had been given at their elite institutions, the left teach what to think and tells the students what their opinions have to be. The only thing they're not taught is how to think. Solomon, the man who would ask God for the gift of wisdom and being granted it, the wisest man that has ever walked the earth apart from our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, said in Proverbs 18.2, something that applies to this new generation of journalists. Fools find no pleasure in understanding. But delight in airing their own opinions. And that briefly, but oh so accurately, sums up most of this current generation of journalists. What happened in the newsrooms of much of the main media was that this new, inexperienced, and poorly educated, if you can't think for yourself and reach your own opinions after considering the arguments from all sides, then you're poorly educated. bunch of kids started to impose what they'd unquestioningly been told were their opinions, and they'd accepted them. This new woke generation came into the key roles of writing news reports at pretty well all of the media armed with their Marxist-isms ideologies, racism, sexism, feminism, and all of the other isms and the tools that the Marxists use for what they, like the Muslims, believe will be their inevitable triumph. Marxism and Islam share many of the same points of view on many topics. Geoffrey Robinson, in his book Crimes Against Humanity, tells us that historically, socialists paid no attention to any of the human rights, that is, until recently... So if human rights weren't the starting point for the socialists, why did they start pushing them so vigorously? Well, Geoffrey Robertson says that the reason the left today promote all of these human rights, these isms, isn't because of the goals they promote to be achieved, it's because they don't, but because they discovered in the Cold War that demanding all sorts of different human rights could attract followers for them, the useful idiots that Lenin had enthusiastically embraced. Look at racism, feminism, sexism, etc. today, and oh boy, has that strategy ever worked. So the only reason that the left promotes human rights is because it helps them win. It's all about them getting power. But if they ever come to power, God help us, then human rights will be dumped. So the isms of today are seen in most of the newsrooms of today. So let's get back to the media and have a look at what happened to it with the help of Marxist ideas. With the media newsrooms overwhelmingly full of the young Marxist-educated work journalists, their older colleagues and their bosses found that instead of them having the power from the top, so to speak, down, the bottom young woke journalists seized power in the media. Insiders at the New York Times have said that the atmosphere in the newsroom today is that the older generation of reporters, editors, and other staff have completely capitulated to the younger, woke generation. Batya Unga sargon in her book Bad News, said, As one longtime Times journalist explained it to me, imagine having the stress of being replaced by someone younger, with better tech skills, and then imagine that that person calls you a racist to boot. And you'll know the fear that older journalists experience and why they have ceded so much moral authority to the younger ones. She goes on to say that some of this younger generation have picked up a big social media following, which was the strategy of the New York Times when it moved to its online presence, but then found that it had created a monster Because these young journalists had been trained by their activist educators to seize the power from, in this case, the management of the New York Times and against their colleagues whose writings offended their superior woke sensitivity and take on modern issues. But of course, there was a reason why this happened. The leadership of the New York Times, before it moved to online, in a Bigway Way had a report prepared called the Innovations Report about how it was envisaged that this would happen, the things that would have to be done to make the transition to online work. One of the recommendations was that news media journalists would each need to build their own online following. The way that this was seen as happening would be to get their younger staff members involved in this. Social media was like breathing for them. They were social media savvy. They knew nothing about the real world. They had no ideas apart from the ones that they'd been given. But they did know how to work social media to get likes and followings. Obviously, some much, much better than others. To get there, the Innovations Report said that the New York Times needed to accept that digital talent is in high demand. To hire digital talent will take more money, more persuasion, and more freedom once they are within the Times even when candidates might strike us as young or less accomplished. Leadership must identify the rising digital stars in the newsroom, show them that they are appreciated, and solicit ideas from them on how the times can be better. In what has become an increasingly familiar story in all media areas, including book publishers today, the power that these young, unworldly, unwise, flattered, Ignorant and pampered young people were obviously given so that they came to see themselves as the people that could, no, must, tell the management how to run the New York Times in accordance with correct Marxist principles to comply with all of the obligatory new doctrines of woke. Maybe it was or wasn't the first time that this had happened that the young, woke, ignorant young employees told their bosses what they must do according to what they had been indoctrinated with. But this was the first time it ended up on a record that could be looked at. On 15 August 2019, the executive editor of the New York Times, Dean Baquet, was forced to call a meeting of the young journalists over a headline that the paper was going to run on Donald Trump. The wording of the headline was totally unacceptable to these young journalists. The headline didn't call Trump a racist. That, of course, is not news or fact it's opinion, which has no place in an item of news. But that's not how modern, corrupted journalism works now. Anyway, if you listened to my previous programs, you'll know that Trump is a racist. Only kidding. The evidence seemed to suggest that people like these young work journalists were the racists. But that wasn't the sort of self-awareness that had been part of their indoctrination at school or college. One of these young work staff members asked his boss, Dean Baquet, I'm wondering to what extent you think that the fact of racism and white supremacy being you know, sort of the foundation of this country should play into our reporting, just because it feels to me like it should be a starting point, you know, like these conversations about what is racist, what isn't racist. I just feel like racism is in everything. It should be considered in our science reporting, in our culture reporting, in our national reporting. How did the leadership of the New York Times stand up to this woke attack, which went against the principles of journalism, defending facts against opinion? Well, the answer seems to be that in this instance here, and a lot of other cases, almost every time since, the heavily indoctrinated youth successfully forced their employers to bow down to them. The leaders had created an uncontrollable monster. So let's finish the story of this first recorded confrontation of the bosses by the woke young journalists. Having been confronted by a woke staff member at a meeting of woke staff members, Dean Bakay, the senior editor of the New York Times, bowed down to his young woke journalists and did not stand up for principles. It's far easier to stand for your principles when they're first challenged. If you don't do it then, after that, it becomes difficult. Maybe impossible. Paquet responded to this young journalist in this sycophantic way. Race is the next year. And I think this is, to be frank, what I would hope you come away with from this discussion with race in the next year is going to be a huge part of the American story. And I mean race in terms of not only African Americans and their relationship with Donald Trump but Latinos and immigration. And I think that one of the things I would love to come out of this with is for people to feel very comfortable coming to me and saying, here's how I would like you to consider telling that story. So who's the boss and who's the employee? In a future program, I'm going to look at how the blacks and Latinos and the Asians see racism. And it's different to how the woke folk see it. And so it came to pass that over the four-year term of President Donald Trump and his supporters at all levels, when they were reported on, maybe denounced would be the better word, that word that was so popular during the mass trials and beheadings and executions of enemies of the French and Russian revolutions, who were whatever the equivalent was for their day of racists. But the New York Times wasn't unique. This disease had been spreading for decades now, simmering beneath the surface. But now it was coming to the surface, and it would be a brave person who would speak the truth in the face of the mob's denunciation. The story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the Bible is an encouraging story of three Jewish men who stood up for the truth, even at the cost of their lives at the hands of the cruel ruler of the Babylonian Empire, Nebuchadnezzar. They had refused to bow down to a false idol like woke today. Nebuchadnezzar had ordered that anyone refusing to bow down to the gold statue of him would be thrown into a blazing furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the images of gold you have set up. They were thrown into the furnace and much later came out unsinged, even their clothing, even though it was so hot that some of the guards who threw them into that furnace died from doing it. Wokeness has spread through much of the media. It now influences news coverage, personal decisions, the boards of public companies. It seems to have penetrated everywhere, even some of our churches. And now it woke had a new cause, slavery, firmly in its sights. And let me tell you just how strange that is. Well, in the next program. Thanks for listening into this program, CYKIAE. If you missed this program, you can catch up with it as a podcast on my CYKIAE Spotify podcast. I'm Paul. Don't miss my next program because you're going to love it. I want to thank my ghostwriter, without whom this program would definitely not have been possible the Holy Spirit. Maybe you could catch up with me at my church, the Northern Hope Anglican Church, at the Cairns and District Junior Estedford Hall, 67 Green Slopes Street, Edge Hill, some Sunday at 9 a.m. If you liked this program, you should listen in to my other explosive program, The Danger Zone, also available as a podcast on Spotify. Search Danger Zone, brackets, DZ, close brackets.